truth to be applied, Father. And I pray that uh, help everybody to be attentive. And help me, Father, to preach the Bible as you would have it to be preached. Help me to say the words you would have me to say. And Lord, I, I pray that the sermon tonight would uh, challenge somebody or help somebody tonight. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, that's quite a story we've read there, a pretty famous story in the Bible. And um, I'd like to, just by way of introduction, just talk a little about, about the story. If you look there at verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. The story goes that Isaac is becoming an old man, and he's getting ready to die. Isaac, if you remember, was Abraham's son. And he, the Bible says that his eyes were dim. He was actually uh, blinded to the point where he could not even see uh, the distinctions between his, his family there. And the Bible says that he went to Esau, his eldest son, and he said, I want you to go out into the field. I want you to hunt. I want you to make me some venison, the meal that I love, and I want you to bring it to me. When you bring it to me, I'm going to bless you. Now, in the Bible, you know, this might not sound like much to us today, living in America in 2011, but the blessing that Isaac, that Isaac was going to give his son was literally the blessing that God gave to Abraham, the promise of a seed, the promise of a nation, the promise of the Messiah coming, the, the, the fact that I will bless them who bless thee and curse them who curse thee. This was the blessing that Isaac was going to give to his son uh, Esau and he told Esau go out and hunt in the field bring back this venison then I'm going to bless you before I die because Isaac knew that his uh, days were uh, you know being short and that he was going to be ready to die now if you look back to Genesis chapter number 25 and look at verse number 23 you'll see there that God had already promised this blessing to Jacob. In Genesis 25-23, the Bible says, When Jacob and Esau were born, or Esau and Jacob were born, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto her, talking about their mother, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be uh, separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder, that's Esau, shall serve the younger, Jacob. Now God had already said that. God had already predetermined that Jacob, who was later going to be called Israel, we'll see that here tonight, was going to be the one who was going to uh, take the blessing of Abraham and of Isaac, and continue that nation of Israel. God had determined that already. But when Isaac decided to give the blessing to his eldest son Esau. Now you say, you know, did Esau deserve the blessing? No, he did not. Because if you remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't remember. Esau sold his birthright. Well, guess what? The blessing comes with the birthright. And when he despised his birthright and sold it for a meal, he gave up the blessing that came with that birthright. And God already knew that that was going to happen, and God had promised. But the problem was that uh, Rebekah and Jacob took God's plan into their own hands. And they decided that they were going to uh, do this. They decided that they were going to devise a plan. And if you might have caught there in the, in the story, that Rebekah, Isaac's wife, is the one who went ahead and initiated deceiving Isaac, and initiated lying to Isaac, and initiated all of this. You know, and just as a side note, not part of the, the sermon, but as a side note, you might think to yourself, why why is Rebecca seem like she's so evil all of a sudden? But there might be a hint in the Bible as to why she had such disrespect for her husband, which is not justified, but go to Genesis 26 and look at verse number 9. 
You might remember this from last week, uh, Genesis 26.9, when uh, Isaac lied about uh, his wife being his sister. And if you look at Genesis 26.9, the Bible says, And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife. Remember, Abimelech found out that he had been lying and that there was actually his wife because they had been sporting. And he said, How saidest thou she is my sister? And look at what Isaac said. And this is the second time he says it. He said it earlier. But the Bible says, And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Last I die for her. Isn't that an amazing statement? Let me, let me show you something. Again, this isn't part of the sermon, but just something you know, that, that was is interesting to look at. If you go to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter number 5, and you look at verse number 25, Ephesians chapter number 5, and verse 25, in Ephesians 5, we find God explaining to us the roles between marriage, the roles of a husband and wife. And in Ephesians 5.25, the Bible says this, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says that a husband ought to love his wife to the point where he'd be willing to give his life. To the point where he'd be willing to die for his wife. And you know what? I believe God says that because I believe that a wife needs that. She needs to know that her husband would be willing to die for her. And when... Rebecca saw in that story that Isaac was unwilling to die for her. I think that might have caused a rebellion in her heart or a disrespect in her heart to the point where she even uh, conspired with her son to lie to her husband. Again, not part of the sermon, just kind of a side note. Something, you know, just food for thought, something to think about there. But I want you to see the story. If you look at verse number 8 in Genesis 27, verse 8, the Bible says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. This is Rebecca speaking to her son. She said, no, she said, go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. Look at verse number 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is an hairy man, and I am a smooth man. And he said, My father, peradventure will feel me. And I will seem to him as a deceiver. Now it's interesting. He says, I will seem to him as a deceiver. Well, isn't that what you are? You're a deceiver. He says, I will seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me. And not a blessing. Because he's saying, because the thing is, Esau was a man of the field. He was hairy. And the Bible says that Jacob was a smooth man. He says, you know, he's going to feel the back of my neck. He's going to feel my arms. He doesn't realize, this isn't Esau. So he's going to curse me instead of giving me the blessing. Look at verse 13, And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. Isn't that an amazing statement that a wife would make? Look at verse 14, And he went, and fetched, and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. So he didn't go out hunting. He just went out to the field, lambs they already had. He brought them in. She began to do it. Look at verse 15, And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau. So she goes into Esau's room, Esau's tent, whatever it was, finds clothes that Esau had worn, dirty clothes, and she took those clothes, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. So she puts Esau's clothes on Jacob. And she put the skins of the goat, so she takes the skins of the goat that has the wool on it, uh, of the kids of the goat upon his hands, and upon the smoothest neck. So she puts the skin of this animal that's got this fur on it, and she puts that over his hands and, and his arms, and she puts that on his neck, so that if, if, her, if her husband Isaac feels for Jacob, he'll feel hair there. Because they're trying to deceive him, and he's trying to pretend like he's Esau. And she gave him savory meats, and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son. 
And he came unto his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. And notice what Isaac asked. He has a very specific question. Because Isaac from the beginning is kind of iffy about the situation. Because he can, he can hear Jacob's voice. He says, Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, Notice what Jacob says, I am Esau, thy firstborn. A flat out lie. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, and sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. So you notice he's already questioning. He's like, I don't know that you're actually Esau. Come here, let me feel you. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him. And he said, this is what Isaac said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And notice verse 23, He discerned him not, because his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And then he went on there and he gave him the blessing. He said, Art thou, but notice verse 24, he asked again, he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me. And I will eat of my son's venison that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him. And he did eat and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come now near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment. Isn't it amazing? Their plan is working perfectly. He comes close to him, he smells his clothes, and he said, And blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field, and the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God gives thee the zoo of heaven, and the fatness of the and he begins to give him blessing there. You say, what's the application here? The spiritual application is this. Isaac was deceived by Jacob, his son. But here's what the interesting thing is. Jacob wanted Isaac's blessing so badly. He was willing to deceive. He was willing to lie. He was willing to put on clothes that did not belong to him. He was willing to take a name that did not belong to him. He was willing to lie to a man to receive a blessing. You know, and so often in Christianity today, and so often we as Christians will want a blessing. You know, this blessing could be looked at as approval, or it could be looked at as, 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 as someone's admiration. And so often in churches, we want people to look at us and approve of us. We want people to look at us and bless us and admire us and, and, and give us their blessing on our life. And so often we want it so bad to the point that we're willing to lie to get it. We're willing to deceive to get it. We're willing to become someone who we are not. We're willing to put on clothes that don't belong to us, a name that doesn't belong to us, an identity that doesn't belong to us. You know, have you ever met the people who they just act like they're real spiritual, but they're not? And so often we do it because we want to impress the pastor. We want to impress our wife. We want to impress your husband. We want to impress our parents. We want people to think that we are something we're not. And Isaac so badly, I'm sorry, Jacob so badly wanted Isaac's blessing. He was willing to pretend he was something he wasn't. I'm talking about fake Christianity. I'm talking about the people who just put on a show. They put on the clothes. They come into church, but there's no substance there. They just want people's. They, they just want people to think, oh, that's a good Christian. Oh, that's a good person. Oh, that, that, that person, they got it all put together. They, they got it all worked out. But in the inside, you know, and it's funny to me because I don't, I don't really frame these sermons. I, I, I just preach through the Bible. That's all I do. I let God do it. But it's so interesting to me how often, you know, the Sunday night service will correspond so well with the Wednesday evening service. Because it's funny, on Wednesday evening, what were we preaching about? Ananias and Sapphira. What were they doing? Lying to get people's approval. 
Isn't it amazing how it just fits perfectly? I mean, I just believe God does that, you know, to make a point, because I didn't do that. I mean, I'm not smart enough to schedule things out like that. I can barely read the clock. I mean, good night, you know. But God does that, you know. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter number 33. Let me show you some verses. Ezekiel in your Old Testament chapter number 33. Look at verse number 30. Ezekiel chapter number 33. Look at verse number 30. Ezekiel 33.30. Look at what the Bible says. You say, oh, I don't think that's true. I don't think there's so many... I don't think there's Christians that do that. I don't think anybody actually does that. I don't think anybody actually... You know, but if you think about it, it's true. I mean, I... I my, my wife and I are originally talking about, you know, just people in our lives. And I'm not talking about any one individual. I mean, I could tell you multiple stories of people in the last year. And, and I see the way they're, they're going down in their lives. And I just got to ask myself this question. Like, do you even consider God, like, at all? Because they, it seems like every choice they make is just the wrong choice. Every decision they make is just, if they got to choose between sinning and righteousness, it seems like they just always choose sinning. But then you'll talk to them and they'll say they're a Christian. They'll say they love God. They'll say that they want to, you know, they say they're a Christian, but they just do whatever they want. You know, I mean, I literally know people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, and they go to church on Sunday morning, yet they're, like, living with a woman who's married, you know, who's not, who's divorced. Not even divorced, they're just married. And I'm thinking to myself, you're the Christian, you know, but it's this idea that you come to church on Sunday morning, you put on a suit, you bring your Bible, you say, I'm a Christian, you tell people you love God, but there's no substance behind it. You're just putting on the clothes, you're putting on the cologne, you're faking people out. People think, oh, that guy's a great Christian, but there's no substance there. You say, I don't think that's true. Look at Ezekiel 33.30. Ezekiel 33.30 says, this is what God said. He said, also thou son of man. The children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, notice what it says, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, I will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. And you know what God is saying is this, Ezekiel. He's saying, don't be fooled. You know, because so often people will, you know, uh, you'll preach a sermon and people will say, oh, you're such a great preacher. You know, I've literally had people done, oh, you're such a great preacher. I love how you preach. You get into it. You know, but then you preach something and then they're fighting against it. You show something in the Bible and they're like, well, you know, you prove to them that the King James Bible is the word of God. And they say, well, I don't know. I, I, I still think the New King James. You know, and they come to these churches and they just sit down and say, oh, I love God. But, you know, with their mouth they show much kindness, but their heart is far from it. That's what God said. And that's Christianity in 2011. I mean, if we could look in people's hearts and truly know the Christians who are sold out, it's fake. It's not real. Most Christians are interested in the show. They're Jacob trying to bring Esau to get a blessing. I mean, my wife and I were talking about this earlier. We've had so many people come to this church, listen to this preaching, 
after the service, shake my hand, say, that was a great sermon. I've been looking for a church like this. You know, and then eventually, you know, and, and then they leave. And here's why. Here's the, the main re- one reason that people leave this church. You say, is it the hard preaching? Is it the stands? Here's the main reason. We're actually talking about this uh, uh, while we were having lunch earlier. The main reason is this. People think, your church is too small. You know, I, I will never for the life of me, I mean, I try to understand, I will never, I've been, you know, growing up, I've been to churches that ran 100, I've been to churches, that, I've, been, I've been a member at a church that had 3,000 members, I've been to churches that had 400 members, and I've never had that be an issue in my life, so I will never understand that, but literally, people will come to this church say, you're right on salvation, you're right on the King James Bible, you're right on the doctrine, you're right on the preaching, but it's just, uh, can a house, you know, you know what that tells me, this is what that tells me, they're interested in a show. They want the blessing, Jacob, but they, they, they're not interested in God's blessing, they're interested in man's blessing. They're interested in what man thinks about them. They're interested in man's approval. Jacob didn't want God's blessing, Jacob wanted Isaac's blessing. But what did Jacob need? Go with me to Genesis chapter number 31. Let me show you some verses. Genesis chapter number 31. Jacob wanted another man's blessing. And he was willing to be fake. He was willing to be something he wasn't. He was willing to put on a show in order to achieve it. But look look at Genesis 31. Look at verse number 41. I don't have time to get into it. As the weeks go by, we're going to learn a lot about Jacob, you know, as we preach through Genesis. But look look at Genesis 31, 41. The Bible says, Thus have I been, this is Jacob speaking to his father-in-law. Now he has a father-in-law. He's married. This is, just so you understand from Genesis 27 to Genesis 31 has been 20 years have gone by. And I, you know, you'll see there in the, in, in, the, in the verse, it says, Thus have I been 20 years in thy house. I served thee 14 years for thy two daughters, and 6 years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages 10 times. So Jacob is speaking to Laban, he's saying, I've been with you 20 years. This is 20 years after the fact. If you remember the story, and we'll get to it, Jacob sees uh, Rachel there, and he falls in love with Rachel, and he, he agrees to work seven years if Laban will allow him to marry Rachel. He worked seven years. He said that it was, you know, fast for him. It seemed like it just went overnight. And then Laban tricked him, and, and when they were supposed to get married, he didn't let Rachel get married. He put his eldest daughter, Leah, because when they got married at those times, they wore veils. He wasn't able to see. And he married Leah... You know, because he was tricked. And guess what? Jacob was a deceiver, and then Jacob got deceived, because you reap what you sow. But he loved Rachel so much that he was willing to work another seven years to marry, uh, to marry Rachel. So he had two wives, Leah and Rachel, worked 14 years, and then he worked six years for the cattle there. 20 years have gone by. 20 years since this, uh, you know, when he tricked his father. And Jacob and Laban eventually have a falling out. And it was time for Jacob to go back home. But Jacob didn't know how Esau felt. He was afraid that Esau was still going to want revenge. I mean, 20 years have gone by. Because remember, his mom said, go to Laban for a few days. Remember? But he said, you know, when, when, es- when Esau's anger calms down, I'll call you back. Well, I guess the anger never calmed down. Because 20 years later, he's still wondering. I wonder if Esau still wants to kill me. But he understands it's time for him to go back. And if you look at Genesis chapter number 32, look at verse number 21. Genesis 32, 21. The Bible says, well, let let me explain this, because I don't really have the time to read through the entire thing, you know. But Jacob is up to his deceptive ways again. 
as he's going back home, he decides that he's going to split up his camp into three different camps, into three different groups. And his idea is that if Esau comes to attack him, then Esau will begin to attack one group, and the other two groups could at least run away. And along with that, he also sends these droves of gifts beforehand, and he's giving gifts to his brother Esau to kind of appease him. And Jacob is just, this is who Jacob is. You know, later when we get into the story of Joseph, and Jacob is an old man, and they have that problem with Pharaoh. Do you remember the advice that Israel gives his sons when they, like, were having a problem with, you know, they didn't know it was Joseph at the time? He says, send them gifts. You know, so he's always thinking. He's always sending gifts. He's always doing something like that. He's always being deceptive. But look at verse 21. Genesis 32, 21. So went the presents over before him. Those are the presents that he's giving Esau. And himself lodged that night in the company. And he, and he rose up that night. And took his two wives and his two woman servants and his eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. So you see, he's not just a single guy anymore. He's got an entire family. He's become very wealthy at this point. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And notice what it says in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Now, you got to understand, we saw there, well, look at, look at verse, look at verse, uh, let me see how I want to do this. you got to understand this about the story. Jacob needed God's blessing. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think we all need God's blessing. And the Bible says that he was left alone 20 years later. And he's wrestling with this man. Now this man, the Bible later on tells us, is the angel of the Lord. And I believe that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, if you disagree with me, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But um, in the Old Testament, there are certain areas in the Bible where I believe Jesus Christ appeared. Obviously, Melchizedek was one of those. When Melchizedek appeared to Abraham, that was Jesus Christ um, before he was, you know, born. Uh, uh, in, in, in the book of Joshua, when the captain of the, of the host of the Lord came and met with Joshua, I believe that was uh, Jesus Christ that met with him there. But Jacob uh, needs a blessing from God. And you've got to understand this. Notice, notice that it says this. In verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And the rest of the man with him. So he was all by himself. Nobody was watching. Look at verse number 1 of Genesis 32.1. And Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. Um, I'm reading the wrong verse for you. Let me, let me just go to the passage. I got the verses here on my sheet, but let me just go to the passage. because Let me give you some insight on this. This sermon is actually a sermon I wrote when I was a teenager. I don't normally do this. Um, I normally write the sermons that I preach, you know. And I did write the sermon, but actually, when I was a teenager, I was in a competition to, to preach at this conference they had. And um, I wrote this sermon when I was a teenage boy. And I preached it a few times since then. But when I got to Genesis 27, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to preach the sermon I preached when I was a teenager. So it's actually a sermon I wrote when I was 17 years old or something like that. So my notes are all messed up. But look at verse 32. It says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met with him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, No, this is still the wrong verse. What? Good night. What am I doing? Uh, 
still the wrong verse. What were we just reading? Thirty-two twenty. Oh, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. Let's go there. Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. This is the point of the story I wanted to show you. Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. Don't trust a sixteen-year-old's notes. And Jacob was left alone. Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. And there wrestled a man with him until the break in the day. Again, I believe that's Jesus Christ. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, this is what the angel said, this is what the man said, let me go, for the day breaketh. Because they've been wrestling all night long. I mean, do you know how exhausting it is to wrestle for just like five minutes? And they've been wrestling all night long. Yeah, you're, you're a wrestler, you know, that's a, it's, it's pretty exhausting. But Jacob's just wrestling. And this guy says, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go. Notice what he said. Notice what Jacob said. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Now look at verse number 27. I used to read this as a teenager. You know, I'd read through my Bible. I always thought, what a silly question to ask. But notice what he said. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now you wonder yourself, why, why, you know, I used to think to myself when I read the Bible, why did this angel, why did Jesus Christ, he's wrestling with, and Jacob says, bless me. And then the angel says, okay, what's your name? And it doesn't make sense. It almost seems like, why would he ask that question? But if you think back 20 years ago, the last time Jacob was asking for a blessing, who was he talking to? His father. And do you remember what his father kept asking him? Who art thou? And what did he keep saying? Did he say Jacob? He said Esau. He gets to God though. And God says, what is your name? And notice what he answered in verse 27. And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob. But Israel, for a prince has thou power with God and with men, and has prevailed. See, we can fake people out all we want. I can fake my wife. You can fake your spouse. You can fake the pastor. You can fake your parents. You can put on the right clothes. You can put on the right outfits. You can say the right things. You can have the right terminology. You can get all the blessing from God, from man you want. But there comes a time, Jacob. When you find yourself alone in a cave, in fear of your brother coming to destroy you, and there's one person you need, you don't need Isaac's blessing, you don't need man's blessing, you need God's blessing. But you know what the problem with God is? Is that He doesn't get faked out. God asked him, you want my blessing? What's your name? And at that point, He couldn't say, feel my arms, they feel like Esau. At that point, He couldn't say, smell my raiment, it smells like Esau. At that point, He had one answer, and that is Jacob. He stopped lying about who He was. for him. He changed his name. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Isn't that amazing? See, we must get to the place where we understand, I don't need man, I need God. But see, when you're getting your blessing from Isaac, everybody's there, mom is watching, people know People get your attention. But you notice, when he's getting the blessing from God, he's just in a cave alone in the middle of the night. Nobody even knows it. Because see, God is usually found in the places that are not glamorous. God is usually found in the places that aren't impressive. And it goes back to the, you know, this church. People think, oh, well, this church is so small. Oh, this church is uh, not very impressive. Oh, you guys are meeting in a house. Oh, you guys are doing this. You're gonna, you know, that's probably where...
Because God is not as interested in what the world looks at as impressive or as nice. Or look at that huge, nice building. I mean, God is interested in the Word of God and in the Bible. And, you, and if you're going to get to the place in your life where you say, I want God's blessing. I want God's approval. I want God's favor. I want God's hand in my life. We're going to have to get to a place where we take off the outfits, we take off the clothes, and we say, God, this is who I am. I'm Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. I faked who I was before to get a blessing, but now I want your blessing. But you can't lie to God. And it's interesting because I believe, as, as, as he asked him, you know, what is your name? I think he was just reminding him about the last time he asked for a blessing. But notice what it says. Look at verse 29. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. You want to know why I believe that was Jesus Christ? Because you could only see God face to face through one face, and that is the face of Jesus Christ. But notice this. In verse number 26, he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Actually, verse 25 is what I meant to show you. Look at verse 25. He said, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. As they were, as they were wrestling, the Bible says that actually Jacob was beating up on Jesus, I guess, you know. He was like beating him. And it also that he touched the hollow of his thigh, and he brought it out of joint to actually like get an advantage on him. But look down at verse number... Um, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Look at what verse 31 says. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted. Look what it says. He halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. And you see there that God wrestled with Jacob, and Jacob got the blessing. He had to admit who he was. He couldn't fake God out. But in order to get the blessing, he touched the hollow of his side. And the Bible says that Jacob limped for the rest of his life. And you know, the cost of getting a blessing from God, it might cost us a limp. You know, you might end up with a few scars. You might end up just limping through life. Because there's a cost to pay. There's a cost to pay if you want God's favor. There's a cost to pay if you want God's blessing. You know, if I wanted to start a church and just have a huge crowd and be a huge success, I could, I'd throw away this King James Bible. I'd get me a new King James or an NIV. I'd get, you know, just some sort of a dance worship team up here. And, I, you know, I'd go rent some building somewhere. And I'd give a cash giveaway out. I'd have a rock concert like, uh, you know, uh, Joel Osteen. I mean, I could, I'd get some big you know, Amy Grant or somebody to come sing. And we get a crowd and we get, you know, but if you want to do it right, if you want God's blessing, it might take some time. It might take some battles. It might, you know, you know that Pastor Emmanuel is not the most popular preacher in America. I mean, you stand up and preach against the queers in, in California, good night. You're not going to be the most popular guy. But, it's worth it for the blessing. Jacob had a price to pay. But you know, it's so interesting to me, Brother Hudson and I, yesterday we were all soul winning, we were talking about names, what names mean in the Bible and changing names. And it's interesting to me, I just want to show you this. Go with me to Acts chapter number 9. Look at verse number 3. Because Jacob, God changed Jacob's name. You know what that means? God changed his character. God changed who is what. He said, Jacob, you used to be a deceiver. Jacob, you used to be a liar. Jacob, you used to be a sinner. Jacob, you used 
used to be miserable. But now you're going to be a prince. Now you're going to have my blessing. Now you're going to be Israel. And he changed his name. And from then on, he was referred to as Israel. And we know the nation of Israel named after Jacob. Israel. But look at Acts chapter number 9. And look at verse number 3. Let me show you someone else who had their name changed. And it's very interesting. Because Jacob had his name changed and he had to limp for the rest of his life. In Acts chapter number 9 and verse 3, the Bible says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. We're talking about Saul here. On Damascus Road. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? That... And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. And it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And notice what it says. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. You notice there, Jesus pushes Paul off the horse there, and he says, you know, you're persecuting me, and all that. And then the Bible makes it very clear that Saul was blind after that. He had to be led into Damascus by hand. Go to Acts chapter number 13, look at verse number 9. Acts 13, 9. I want you to see this, that at this time, this is when Saul's name was changed. If you look at Acts 39, it says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, as we mostly know him, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Paul, Saul's name was changed to Paul, and Paul got his vision back. But not completely. Look at Acts chapter number 9, look at verse number 17. And I, well, let's keep reading this. And I went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, Brother Saul, and Lord, uh, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, and thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as they had been scales, and he received the sight forthwith, and he arose, and was baptized. So you see there, he gets led into his master's robe, he gets into Damascus, God sends another soul winner there, and one of the things that he does for him is he gets back his sight. His, his name is changed from Saul to Paul, and he gets back his sight. But go to Galatians chapter number 4, look at verse 15. Galatians chapter number 4 and look at verse 15. Galatians chapter number 4 and look at verse 15. He gets back his sight. But look at what Paul says in Galatians 4.15. He says, Where is then the blessedness you spake of? This is Paul speaking to the Galatians. He says, For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Now Paul is talking to the Galatians and he's telling them, he's, he's reminding them, do you remember you used to love me? <laughs> remember when, when you, you know, before you got stuck in all this heresy and now you're against me? Remember when you used to, he said, he said, there was a point in your Christian life where you loved me so much, you were willing to pluck out your own eyes and give them to me. Now why would Paul say that? I believe he said that because Paul had eye problems. I believe that God gave him back his sight, but he was not able to see you know, as well for the rest of his life. And it's interesting because Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and he has to live the rest of his life. As a reminder, Israel, you weren't always Israel. You used to be Jacob. And I believe Paul, 
as a reminder that he wasn't always Paul. He used to be Saul, had to go the rest of his life without being able to see very well. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and look at verse number 7. Paul speaks, I believe, of this issue in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And if you look at it, it says, Paul said this, and lest I should be exalted above measure. Notice what he said. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure. He's talking about being humble. Through the abundance of the revelations. Because Paul was a preacher mightily used of God. I mean, he wrote down most of the New Testament. And he said, he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation. He said, due to the fact that God has used me to write most of the New Testament, just to keep me humble, just to keep me from being exalted, he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I believe he's talking about his eyes. He said, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And notice what he says in verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So he goes to God, he says, God, heal me. Three different times, he's like, God, will you please heal me? I've got this thorn in the flesh, will you please heal me? And look at what God responds in verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, I, I wish I had my eyesight. I wish God would uh, heal this thorn in the flesh. But God has given me this to keep me humble. God has given this to me. Because every time I got a squint and I have to try to read something. And every time I... And Paul later on talked about how he wrote a letter with his own hand. And he talked about how the letters were so large because he wrote it with his own hand. Because I believe he just really couldn't see that well. And every time God, uh, Paul, you know, I kind of had to look at something or I have to, have to have somebody read something for him. I have to have somebody write something for him because he couldn't really write because of his eyes. Every time he was reminded that he lost his eyesight when on the Damascus road. When his, changed name, when his name changed from Saul to Paul. And every time Jacob stood up and kind of had an issue. And every time Jacob tried to walk somewhere and he just limped. He was reminded of that day when he met with Jesus Christ face to face. And he received the blessing. But why did he receive that blessing? He had to tell him who he was. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Let me show you one verse. We'll be done. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 1. I pray to God that we would have Christians who would say, I'm not in it for the show. I'm not in it for what people think. I'm not ashamed of this King James Bible. I'm not ashamed of soul winning. I'm not ashamed of... I don't care if people mock at us. I don't care if people laugh at us. I'm more interested in God's blessing than any other blessing. Than what anybody thinks. And I don't know what my thorn in the flesh is. It may be physical. It may be not. I don't know what your thorn in the flesh may be. But I just believe that when, if you ever get to that place where you meet with God and you receive God's blessing and He spiritually changes your name, I just believe there's going to be something there that's going to remind you of that day. Remind you of God's blessing. He's going to hinder you in some way. Because He says in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. He said, Pastor Jimenez, are you still going to keep preaching? Are you still going to stand for the King James Bible? Are you still going to stand for the doctrines of, this, of the Word of God? If your church never grows, if people leave, if people get mad, if nobody joins the church, are you still going to preach? Hey, if that's my thorn in the flesh, I'd rather glory in my infirmities than have people's 
Admiration. One thing that Saul had was people's admiration. One thing that Saul had was people knew who Saul was. Saul of Tarsus. They respected him. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know what he lost when his name got changed? Man's admiration. Man's admiring. Man's blessing. But you know what he got? God's blessing. Look at Hebrews chapter number 12. Look at verse 1. We'll be done. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's what it says. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, God equates the Christian life as a race. And you know what? Jacob, Israel, it's easier to run a race without a limb. Would you agree? You know what, Paul? It's easier to run a race if you can see. (laughs) And I, I would just challenge you, before you get the scars, before you get the limp, before you can't see, before God has to humble you, why don't we just humble ourselves and say, God, I want your blessing. God, I want your power. I want to know you. That's what the sermon this morning was about. Knowing Jesus Christ through the Word of God. I want to know that God knows who I am. You know, are you interested that uh, Dr. So-and-so knows who you are? Are you interested that this person invites you to their conference and this person... Hey, am I interested that... Hey, no, I'm interested that God knows who I am. I'm interested that God knows about Mary Baptist. I'm interested that God is interested in this church. You say, oh, don't you want you know, the governor to know? And all? I could really care less. And I wish you would care less. And I wish we would just say, as, as Christians in 2011, and say, you know what? I want God more than I want anything else. But Lord willing, we'll do it before we get the scars. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for our church, and thank you for your Bible.